Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 37 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is All in the Family, an interview with Canadian guests, Christina and Lisa Castleti. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guests are Christina and Lisa Castleti. Christina Castleti is a 17-year-old woman from Quebec, Canada. Lisa Castleti is Christina's mother. Christina's life, her life's goals, and her entire family dynamic was changed at 15 when she began to show the symptoms of a tick disease. Christina's symptoms began with severe chest pains and then developed into various symptoms that caused her to suffer a total disability. Christina's physical challenges have caused her to abandon her dream of attending law school and to put her college education and her social life on hold. Unfortunately, Christina's family has been forced to be all in on Christina's recovery efforts. Christina's mother, Lisa, has dedicated her entire focus on her daughter's diagnosis and treatment. Unfortunately, Christina's sister and father have had to fill in the gaps left by Lisa's full-time commitment to Christina's healing journey. Christina is currently treating with a naturopathic doctor and recently participated in an experimental nebulized iodine treatment protocol named Lyman that is showing some early signs of hope. Hello, Christina and Lisa, and welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hi there. So, Christina, can you share with us a little bit about your background? Yes. Well, I, um, when I was younger, I used to move around a lot with my family. So we moved to Egypt, Cambodia, Dubai, China, and I was living a very good, normal life. And we moved back to Quebec, and I was just a normal student living a normal life. So, Christina, you're living in Quebec, Canada? Yes. Or as we in New York say, Quebec? Yeah, that sounds better. Yes. Uh, Lisa, can you share with us a little little bit about what Christina was like before she began to exhibit symptoms of a tick disease? She was basically just happy-go-lucky, very, very um, opinionated. She just, you know, loved life. She couldn't sit still for two seconds. She always had to go somewhere, do something outspoken, lots of drive, very determined. So typical young lady who just wanted lots from life. So Christina, what were your plans upon graduating from school? What profession did you want to pursue? I wanted to be a lawyer and fight for people's rights and work very hard. I wanted to make a lot of money, to be honest. Well, I, I, can, I can share with you as a lawyer, it is a great profession to both fight for other people and make a lot of money, so you were on a good path. So, Lisa, can you share with us what your perspective was on your daughter's goals? Basically, for her to have successful, happy, healthy life, uh, like any parent wants for their child, is just for them to be happy and love doing what they're doing and, and not have to depend on anyone else, just be independent and do what she wants when she wants. Christina, can you tell us when you first started to feel badly and what kind of changes your health started to show? So at school, we had to uh, do uh, gymnastics classes and I had to hold people up and I started getting very intense chest pains. I, I thought I was getting heart attacks. So we had to go to the emergency room a lot and nobody knew what I had. They said I was fine. And about a month later, I finally got to see my family doctor and she said I had costochondritis, which is an inflammation of the rib cage. And that same day, I went back to school and I just felt horrible. I started to really crash. 
and somebody else in the class had mono and she got to leave the class and I thought, why does she get to leave? I feel way worse. <laughs> and every day, just more and more symptoms started appearing, spasms, I couldn't feel my hands, I was getting very, very weak, blurry vision, very, very dizzy. Every time I took an elevator, I thought I was going to collapse, I couldn't stand up afterwards. And then my memory started to fog up and I couldn't concentrate on anything. I could barely walk down the street. Yeah, things just went downhill every day. Christina, prior to the event that you described as thinking you were having a heart attack, did you have any other symptoms leading up to that first event? Uh, no, just about two years before I had fainted randomly, but I didn't think anything of it. Lisa, when Christina had that event that resulted in her being evaluated for the heart issue, did you notice anything happening with uh, your daughter and did she show any signs of health issues? Zero signs of health issues, except for, you know, those chest pains. And then she had scars on the bottom of or on her lower back. They looked like a, a big tiger scratch on the horizontal. That we noticed when she was about 13. But they said it was um, growing uh, pain. So we believe that. Other than that, she had been very healthy. Uh, no issues except for sinus infections when she was young. But everything else, you know, was great. She had maybe an inner ear problem that we couldn't figure out. But other than that, she was, she was great. Lisa, as the symptoms began to progress, what type of limitations did you see placed on your daughter, both socially and educationally? Well, uh, even though she was sick, she did force herself to graduate high school. And she was sick for a good five months, quite sick. And she still forced herself to go to school. So the school was actually quite generous in helping us with her exams and giving her more time. And they were very understanding because we thought she had mono, but a very severe case of it. Other than that, it was just, she just went downhill. She could hardly stand up. She didn't understand what was going on. She thought she had a brain tumor. She was dying. And being a parent, you just want to find answers. And when everybody sends you back home from emergency rooms, when you're waiting for seven or eight hours and they do blood tests and they do this test and that test, and they just say, listen, there's nothing wrong with your daughter. Go back home. It was, it was tough to see her in that condition. Lisa, can you share with our listeners what impact the progression of symptoms had on your family unit generally? Well, she has an older sister, and uh, they're not very close, so a lot of concessions have to be made when someone is ill, especially when you don't know what's wrong. So you basically turn your life inside out. I stopped working, I stayed home with her, and she was bedridden a lot of the time. For the first six to eight months, she could hardly get out of her bed, and so it really plays on your emotions as a parent because you can't protect your child, you can't make them healthy. You can't give them an answer and you can't give them any kind of happiness because she had none. So the family dynamic got very, very stressful and we just did everything we could for Christina. We still do because she's the one who needs it. So it puts a lot of stress on the family. It puts a lot of stress on Christina and we try and cover our emotions so that she doesn't get the feeling of how stressed or hurt or broken we are so that we continue supporting her. I have four daughters and I often wonder how my daughters interact with one another based on their needs. And I'm wondering how Christina's sister responded to Christina getting all of your attention as a consequence of the development of her illness. Well, she's uh, two years older than Christina and they've never been close. 
they've never fought or argued, but they've never been close. So she keeps a lot of her emotions inside and they basically blurt out every few months she goes into um, a mini depression. And I try and explain to her why we're putting our attention on Christina because she's not healthy and she needs the attention. And through no fault of my own, I kind of pushed her aside because she seemed to be doing well. She was not externalizing her emotions. So, Christina, what was this like from your point of view, the last five months of being in school before you graduated and being so sick? Very painful. Teachers, some of them understood, but some of them kicked me out of their classes because I had to have uh, more time for exams or I had to leave or I couldn't come to class. And after a certain amount of time, they just told me uh, that was enough and I had to leave their classes. I had a very hard time concentrating. I didn't care about making friends because it didn't matter. What mattered to me was just being able to walk from a class to the other without falling. So I would always hold the walls and eat in class a lot. And it was quite embarrassing when people asked me what was wrong with me because I couldn't tell them. So I'd say, oh, doctors think something's wrong with my brain and that I have mental issues and I'm making myself sick. Christina, after you graduated, and things are a bit different in Canada than they are here in the States, I believe, you graduated when you were 15. Is that accurate? Yes. So you were 15 years old, you were very, very sick, and you chose not to move forward with your next level of education and focus on your health. Yes. Well, I feel very um, depressed because I was very into school. I just, I like being able to to uh, succeed in classes and I wanted to be very young going into college. I thought that would give me an advantage because I was younger than most people who graduated, but I got over it and I just wanted to focus on my health. Well, I kept going to the doctor and asking for answers. So of course they just say, oh, you have chronic fatigue, maybe check fibromyalgia. And just, I kept getting blood tests and more tests and everything came back fine. So were there any other things that you were misdiagnosed with prior to your Lyme diagnosis? I was diagnosed with a mononucleosis with a blood test, so it actually came back positive. I still don't know if I actually had it or not. Thyroid problems, gluten intolerance, IBS, and psychological issues, and ear problems, but nothing significant. And how many doctors did you see before you got diagnosed, and what type of doctors? About 10, I saw specialists for my thyroid, ear specialists, ear, nose, and throat. I almost went to an eye doctor, but then I thought that was not going to help me. Lots of emergency room doctors, and then chiropractors, osteopaths. Lisa, can you share with our listeners why you took your daughter to so many doctors and what kind of frustrations you felt as a parent when your daughter had to go from doctor to doctor to get a proper diagnosis? Here in Canada, we have a, um, it's a public system. It's a very good public system, but it's still a public system. So they try and farm you out as quickly as possible with diagnosis or pills or whatnot. So when you go to your family doctor that you've had with your child since she was two years old and she's 15 years old, and all they want to do is give blood tests, give her pills, and it's not making her better, it's actually making her worse, you have to get out of that public system and find a private doctor who will spend more time to try and find out what's wrong. So as a parent, you just want to fight and fight and fight until you find an answer. And when you can't find that answer, you change directions and you go somewhere else to find a different answer until something makes sense. 
Oh, for this two-year window, did any doctor suggest Lyme disease or a tick disease prior to your ultimate diagnosis? The private doctor did mention Lyme once, but I actually have a second cousin who does have Lyme disease. Uh, she got it around the same time that I got sick, and her case was very, very bad. She had seizures. She, she was put in a, a mental, mental health, institution. mental institution. She was in a wheelchair. She had stomach tumors, and so when we hear that, we think that's Lyme disease, and that's what everybody experiences. So I thought, well, there's no way I have Lyme because I'm not having seizures every five seconds. The fact that Lyme displays differently in so many people makes it so hard to diagnose, I think. And ultimately, you did get a diagnosis after two years of being sick. So can you walk us through what that was like? I felt a sense of relief, and I was happy I could just stop seeing my psychologist because I knew deep down inside I wasn't making myself sick because no one has time to make themselves sick for two years and fake it. I felt very angry because where I live, nobody knows what Lyme is. Nobody cares. You say you have Lyme and they say, okay, that's it. And they think you're fine. But I was very relieved just to know that I wasn't crazy. Lisa, how did you feel when your daughter was finally diagnosed with Lyme disease, and what impact did the diagnosis have on the dynamic in your family? The fact that she actually got diagnosed with something was fantastic, and it, it's something that we could treat, uh, which was very important. And I was also, like Christina, very angry at the way the medical community shies away from this disease that just devastates lives and cuts short young lives full of promise, and then they end up having to give everything up at such a young age and deal with all of this pain. So I was very, very upset that they don't have proper testing. They don't even look at it. If you say you have Lyme disease, they can't even treat it or they'll lose their medical license. So it, it's very upsetting to live in that type of a situation and that everything that you have to do has to be done privately. You have to fight to get blood tests because nobody wants to test them. You have to, to fight to, to find someone to help them. So it was just very, very aggravating. So as a family, I mean, we were thrilled to find out that she had something that we could treat. But then it's the long road that it takes to try and cure it because there's not really a cure for it at the stage where Christina was because it is chronic. It's not at the tick bite site where you get the antibiotics and guess what? You got rid of it. It was way past that time for Christina. So we really had to dig deep and, and think that finances were not of importance, that her health comes first. And it just, it, it changes the way you, you look at life. Prior to the accurate Lyme diagnosis from Armin Labs in Germany, which you guys had to pay out of pocket for, I believe, you had an ELISA test and not the Western blot. And the ELISA test came back negative, which is not a surprise considering it's only really 50% accurate. And it was thanks to your private doctor who suggested you go to Armin Labs to get the real powerful Lyme test done. It was the naturopath who told me to do that. Christina, how did you feel when you got your diagnosis? Did you think that this would be a quick recovery? I thought I was near the end of Lyme. I thought I was going to get better in a few months. That was not the case. Lisa, can you share with us how you ultimately located the naturopathic doctor that is now treating your daughter? Actually, it was through um, her cousin, her second cousin who has Lyme. They paved the way, actually, and they fought tooth and nail to find people to help. 
And so they located this naturopath who's in Ontario, which is a province away from us. So it's a five hour drive, which Christina cannot get to. She can't be in a car uh, for a period of time. So we ended up having to do everything by phone consult. And the first time that she spoke to her, it took about half an hour for her to say and to look at the scratches on her back and say, she has Lyme. So it was, it was amazing to find someone who actually believed that she was sick. Christina, now that you have this naturopathic doctor, what was your treatment course? Uh, I started with herbal treatments, just trying to kill as much as we could. And I, I started herxing a lot. And that, I did that for a few months. And I did not notice many changes. So the doctor recommended that I try an experimental treatment. She says that it's a cure and that everybody who does it ends up being cured. So I did the treatment for uh, three months. It was supposed to be two months, but I kept getting parasites. So I did it longer and now I'm done. So I'm just doing cleansing and detoxing and waiting the an effect because it can take up to two years to reverse the damage. Christina, I'm going to back up a second. So when you got your diagnosis through Armin Labs, were you also diagnosed with any other tick diseases other than Lyme disease? I was diagnosed with Bartonella when she saw the scratches on my back and then Babesia with a test and Borrelia. And Christina, I'm sure you know now that the Bartonella is known as the cat scratch disease, and that's probably what you had on your lower back. Yes. You were on antibiotics prior to your Lyme disease diagnosis, penicillin for two weeks for another illness, but you chose not to pursue antibiotics once you received a Lyme diagnosis. Yes. Was there any thought put into that with your naturopathic doctor? Did you choose that to avoid the negative effects of antibiotics? Well, before right before I got diagnosed and I was just doing a lot of research on Lyme disease and I saw that antibiotics would only make it worse and my gut was already very damaged so I didn't want to cause more harm and then the naturopath told me that it put the spirochetes to go dormant and then they, they sort of form cysts in your body and then they wake up a few years later and it could come back so I didn't want to cause more harm. Right. So these spirochetes, which is the shape of the Lyme bacteria, like a corkscrew, actually, they, the Lyme bacteria will change into a cyst, which your immune system and antibiotics won't detect to actually kill. Once you're off the antibiotics, then the cyst will turn back into spirochetes and really wreak havoc again in your body. So based on that, you chose to go an alternative route. Yeah. Now, we'd like to learn more about the experimental trial. What exactly did that include? Well, the experimental trial, it's actually from the U.S., but because our naturopathic doctor is with the Lyme Association, she does have access to it. I think she's the only one in Canada who actually can get it. It's basically, it's called Lyme N, and it's nebulized iodine. Now, we all know what iodine does when you have a surgery. It kills off any kind of microbe or bacteria you have on your skin. So this genius who was researching cancer decided to help people with Lyme disease because his best friend's wife and children had Lyme disease and they approached him and asked him to find a cure. And so he came up with nebulizing a hydrolyzed iodine. So it's called Lyme N and you nebulize once a day with this product. It looks like iodine. It smells like iodine. No side effects have been noted. It's been on kind of the private market, I guess you could say, for about four years. And anyone who's been on it 
has actually been cured when you look at microscopic evidence of the Lyme N treatment versus the antibiotic treatment. The antibiotic treatment causes the spirochetes to basically fold into themselves, do like a little tadpole, and protect themselves. And then when you put the Lyme in, it desecrates them. It basically obliterates the spirochetes under microscope. So that's why we decided to put the chances on our side and go with the Lyme N. So Lisa, Christina just shared with us that she had some challenges when she was on this protocol and had to take a little bit longer. Can you share with us what those challenges were and why you decided to extend the protocol? Yes. So I basically, the doctor made it sound very, um, well, much better than it actually was. She said after two months, some people, it's a miracle. They just feel, they feel great and they're back to normal. So I thought after two months, I'd be fine. But I kept getting parasites uh, that were coming out and I didn't feel any better whatsoever. So I decided to go uh, a month longer just to make sure that everything was dead. And now I just have to wait. Now, does this Lyman protocol just treat bacteria or does it also treat parasites and viruses? It, it treats viruses. Bacteria apparently can treat mononucleosis. So Lisa, can you share with us from a parent standpoint why you decided to pursue the naturopathic and the alternative path rather than the traditional long-term antibiotic approach? Well, I'm, I'm basically someone who would rather go a natural path when you can because I've always thought that the good Lord gives us everything we need in life, be healthy. And so when they wanted to give her years and years of antibiotics, which is the alternative, I was quite against that because of the damage that it can do to her body. So if we can kill off this bacteria, this nasty bug, in a natural environment that will not cause harm to her body, I would definitely choose that 100 times over. And antibiotics has not been known to cure it. So I'd rather go for something that might cure it than something that definitely doesn't. Christina, for our listeners, can you describe what it was like to receive this treatment? So the nebulized iodine, you, how many days a week did you do it? And was it a mask that you breathed in? How long did it last? Were you herxing bad after the treatment? I had to do it every day at the exact same time because it runs a 24-hour course. You have to nebulize for about 30 minutes. Uh, the, the first time I did it, I had an extremely sore throat. It's very... Uh, Hard on the throat, and then you have to um, rinse your mouth with baking soda and hydrogen peroxide after each treatment. And you cannot miss a treatment because the spirochetes will sort of come back to life more intensely. So this is a very strict protocol, and if you miss one day, it can actually have the opposite effect and make you worse. Yeah, it can go back to step one, and you have to start over. So at the end of this three-month period, Christina, how did you feel upon completion of this treatment? I was very happy to be done because it's not very fun, but I was just pretty, also pretty sad because I thought I'd be fine the last day. I thought I would be back to normal, but that was not the case. So over the following months after you finished your treatment, did you get better? And was it a gradual progression? Very slightly. I didn't notice just like one day I didn't just wake up and feel great like the doctor described. I'm still waiting. I try to push myself to do more because I'm trying to trick my brain into thinking that if it's dead, then I'm fine. But then I also feel like 
I'm going back to when everyone thought I was crazy and I had to convince myself that I was fine. Sort of the same thing for my brain because my brain doesn't believe that uh, it could be dead. How long ago from today did you finish the treatment? It's been about three weeks. Oh, so you finished your treatment three weeks ago? Yeah, it hasn't been very long. Have you done anything else to just help treat your symptoms? So I tried doing yoga because I have a very big bump in my shoulder and it's always painful and I get very dizzy so I try to balance myself but it doesn't work as well as seeing a chiropractor or an osteopath and I recently started taking CBD oil and THC because I have terrible insomnia and I can't fall asleep and one night out of two I get to sleep because the CBD and THC. Christine I'd just like to point out that you got diagnosed six months ago, you finished this experimental treatment three weeks ago, and generally speaking, the recovery period for chronic Lyme like you have is, is lengthy. And sometimes, you know, it takes a really long time and it's a gradual process. So it seems like you began your healing journey. Yes, I'm much better than I was when it first started. What would you say your health is at today compared to where you were before you got sick? 40% better. She says 40%, but I'm looking at where she was, where she couldn't stand on her own, where we had to carry her basically to get to the bathroom or in the emergency rooms. We had to carry her, both myself and her father, because she couldn't stand up, to her being able to walk, speed walking for an hour, three times a week. That's what I'm seeing. So I see more of like a 60% getting on our way there. At one point, as your mom noted, Christina, you weren't really able to leave the house. You couldn't walk by yourself and you literally had to be carried into the hospital. So I understand from our discussion offline that you are now able to leave the house, walk, and you're making some great progress. Yes. So before, when I couldn't leave the house, I started getting very scared of leaving the house and I would get panic attacks every, tra- every time I tried. And so I just decided to start pushing myself and I would try over and over, and then I started eating very, very well, gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, and I tried to exercise every day, and then slowly I started walking because we got a dog, and that helped me a lot to start pushing myself to walk more for the dog, and in return, it benefited me. Can you share with us how your life is different now as a consequence of your tick disease experience? I can't do anything I want to whenever I want to like I could have before, but I'm also much more thankful for everything life has to offer. I used to see doctors as like, it's okay if something's wrong, the doctor will fix you, they'll take care of you, they know everything. But then when I got sick, I noticed that doctors don't know anything about me at least because they couldn't figure it out. So I still have a big amount of respect for them, but I don't see them as these gods. Lisa, can you share with us how you've changed and how your family has changed as a consequence of your daughter's tick disease journey? I mean, we are a lot more fervent when it comes to going outdoors. It's, you know, do we have our our tick spray or, you know, we, we make sure that we read all the labels of any food that comes into the house, basically, because everything has sugar on it. It's amazing. 
So we're trying to help her and support her to make all the healthy choices that she wants to take. She's very hard-headed, so she doesn't let anybody steer her in another direction. So it's it's just trying to understand a lot more about the disease and trying to make people aware of how they can get help and trying to get it, the message out there that, yeah, it exists here in Quebec, it exists in Canada, and it, if you don't know what's wrong with you and you don't feel well and nobody can explain it, get a tick test and get it tested abroad, not here in Canada, because it does not work. Has there been any positive outcome in the way your daughter has developed as a consequence of this tick disease journey that she's been on? She's always been very hard-headed, probably because she was born in the U.S., so we say that she's got a, an American attitude. She doesn't give up. And, uh, I knew there was something just, I liked about that kid. <laughs> there we go. See? <laughs> And it's just, it's made us realize how strong this kid actually is because everything that she's been through and all the the bad things that people have thrown at her, the doctor saying, you're crazy, you need you need psychotic medication. And, and she's just like, no, no, that's not what's wrong with me. She held true to her gut feeling and she's a fighter. So I'm very, very proud of my girl. I wish she wasn't sick, but she is. And, and she's just, she keeps trying and fighting every day to be better. Lisa, how do you feel about your daughter being diagnosed with a mental illness when in fact it was really just a failure on the part of the medical community to properly diagnose her? I understand that the medical community does what they can and they can't know everything, but to convince a 15 year old that she is physically making herself ill is extremely enraging, basically. It, it really is enraging that they accuse a 15-year-old that she's making herself sick and that she has to stop it and she needs a psychologist and she needs to get on pills. And you try these pills because you believe them and it makes her worse. So you get her off of these pills. So it's just very, very, very frustrating that not one single doctor or specialist she saw, even though they could not find anything wrong with her, they didn't say, because we can't find anything, will try Lyme disease. Not one of them, except for her private doctor, whom at the end of trying everything, said this is the only thing we haven't tried to test. Christina, now that you want to fight for other people who are in your situation, I'm gonna ask you the, the ultimate question. If you wanted to help someone avoid the challenges that you have faced as a consequence of exposure to a tick, and you woke up tomorrow morning with a tick biting you on your leg, what would you do? Well, I would freak out if I saw a tick, but I would go straight to the doctor and I would, I don't know what I would do, honestly. I would remove the tick. I think I would have to ask for antibiotics because it would be right after the bite. And I would ask my naturopath what to do. And Lisa, we have the same question for you. If now knowing what you know about ticks and tick diseases, if tomorrow morning your daughter woke up and she showed you she was being bitten by a tick, what would you do? Well, she would freak out, but I would literally have a heart attack uh, knowing that we've been through all of this before. But at least I would know what to look for. So yes, directly go to an emergency room, your closest doctor, bring the tick with you if you can, have that tick analyzed to see if the tick is carrying the disease and get treatment ASAP. Do not wait. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Canadian guests, Christina and Lisa Castleti. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to know more about Christina Castleti and her family's tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at Christina underscore Castleti. Second, 
Tick Bootcamp has printed a Tick Bootcamp blueprint that is inspired by guests on this podcast. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the Tick Byte blueprint. Please note, this is a work in progress and we'd appreciate any input and improvement you would like to offer. Third, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates from our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.